One thing I have seen in life that brings me grief and sadness. There are, there are many things, but this is one of them. It's seeing a parent and a child alienated from one another. A loss that just reverberates throughout time and eternity. What happens when a parent and a child without, a, without having a meaningful relationship? What happens? Well, it's the loss of love exchanged. Love not seen, love not given, to some degree. It's a loss of time for soul building. It's a loss of the future, to some degree. Now, this is obviously no small matter. Now, let me say something to those of you who have adult children, a number of you in that uh, category. Your relationship building is not over. It's just of a different kind in relating to another adult. So don't take yourself out of this. It goes on, and it takes on different characteristics, different contours. But what can you do as a parent to build a relationship with your child that will be strong, open, loving, lasting? Now, I'm going to take this turn on it, that I'm going to go to the example of Jesus Christ in the Gospels with his disciples. I think that is a very good place to go. Here we have in the Gospels, we have our Lord and Savior taking, yes, they were Adults, but probably in their 20s. He took these men, the 12 of them. He recruited them. Now, he recruited them from a godly remnant. So you don't get confused on that. Some people think that when he said, come follow me, I'll make you some fishers of men, that was a gospel invitation. No, 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 no. He's recruiting from the godly remnant men who did have a lot of work to be done on them and in them how to get prepared for immediately going and declaring the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand and Messiah, Messiah is here. It's Jesus Christ. But they had to be prepared also for work that, they, quite frankly, they just didn't envision until much later on began to dawn on them in that 40-day summer school experience after the resurrection of Christ and then as he went to heaven and everything really changed in Pentecost. But the Lord had, had built into these men. He had built into them a relationship. Significantly so. Life-changing. There's much to be learned from that. And I would make a modest attempt at bringing that forward. Preparing his disciples to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now I want to present to you seven, seven what I see as truths that can help us think through this. By the way, if uh, just so I can gather up any who may be mentally checking out on this, is that, listen, these are prayer prompters. Would you like to know how to pray for other folk? 
Take these. How do you pray for families? How do we, who are older, and our children are grown, and some of us, for our grandchildren, are just about grown? Well, yes, the work continues, but how can we pray for all those in the church who have their work cut out for them? I, I see a lot, some little people who can barely see over the seat in front of them right now. And they're going to be where we are in not too many years. So let's begin by praying for them. All right, with that said, let's go through these and see what, hopefully, what help they can be to us in building a relationship with your child. I'll start with this. Number one, know your child. Know your child. Jesus knew the disciples through omniscience. There were moments in the ministry and the life of Christ this is a, we don't have time to unpack all this issue, the hypostatic union. What's that? Two natures in one, God and man. And the fact that Jesus humbled himself, taking the form of a servant and restrained the use of his attributes through his life in ministry. He didn't delete them. Are you, okay, that's as far as I can go with that. But to say this, that through omniscience, John 1 and 14, Nathan Nathaniel said, well, how do you know me? <laughs> he wondered how he knew him. Jesus handpicked his disciples, and he knew them. John 13, 10. You are clean, but not all of you. They were given to Jesus. The disciples were given to Jesus by the Father. John 17, 6. Jesus acknowledged that in his high priestly prayer. He knew that Jesus knew their hearts. He knew their personalities. He knew their needs, their shortcomings, their strengths. He knew them well. He knew them better than they even could begin to imagine how well he knew them. And he watched his disciples. He did learn things. This is the mystery of this union of God and man in Christ. He did learn some things. He did. He didn't stop learning when he just became a, an older teenager, a young adult. The Father taught him. Isaiah 50 says that. Matching up truth, Scripture, the Old Testament Scriptures with life situations. And so he, he knew them Strengths and weaknesses. Watch them. Now, the question is, parents, do you know your children? Study your child. That's where we want to go. Now, we're not omniscient, and that's what makes parenting just a little dicey sometimes. What do I have on my hands here? <laughs> and you're going to have to learn about them as you watch them. Now, I'm going to have to be really careful here. I, I'm going to just, I'm going to turn on the fire hydrant for just a moment, so hang on. I'm not expecting you to be able to, to receive and savor every one of these. But let me just tell you some things about how you can know your child. This will set your compass. You know, your child is a gift from God. You start there. Psalm 127.3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So they're a gift. Do they know 
that their gift, some parents treat their children like they were, the children were a penalty. <laughs> no. Your child bears the image of God marred by sin. You've got to know that. Genesis 1.27, let's make man in our image according to our likeness. And Romans in 3 and 23, when Paul wants to come to the condition, baseline condition of the human race, if for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there is some, there is the image of God, but yet there's some distortion, sort of like those, those mirrors at the carnival, those concave and convex mirrors, you know, you walk in there and see, well, that's me. I, my, my head looks like a pineapple. The rest of my body, I look like a hippopotamus, and it does all kinds of strange things. Maybe not the best analogy, but here, the fact is, is that though in the image of God, sin has done damage. That's, that's our, these are our children. And your child is a composite of God's design. Genet- Hold on for this one. Genetic inheritance and a sinful heart. So, you see, with the child, you, some of you is there. Oh, that's, let, don't let your imagination go too crazy with that. That can be a good thing. Now, if you have adopted children, and you don't have that genetic inheritance, that DNA factor, how, how is, I, I can look and see some of my tendencies showing up. That doesn't, that doesn't diminish the fact that you can know that child that's not yours biologically and you can study them and God will give you wisdom. And as you learn to know your biological children, you learn how to be more effective in reading, understanding. There are just certain commonalities for all of us. Your child will inherit the environment that you create for him or her. What is, the, what is the state of the environment at the present time? Where are you? What kind of world do you live in? Do we live in? What influences will your child face that you did not? Oh, my. This is a big one. <laughs> Think of how the world has changed. Just, you know, in the last ten years. So, parents have got to be on their toes, aware, alert to these things. How is their world different from with what I'm having, what I had to cope with? You and your, I think if you're keeping count of this, this would be the fifth one. You and your wife must partner working to understand your child. That's important. Husband and wife talking together about it. You say, well, have you noticed this? Beth and I, as the children were coming along in the early years, we'd go out and we'd have lunch on Mondays. We'd go get that, remember that delicatessen? Beth, we'd go get that Philly cheese uh, steak sandwich up there. <laughs> and we would uh, compare notes. Cause, see, she would notice things. She would see things that I wouldn't. So we compared notes. Parents, you've got to be a team. And observe your child in action. Pay attention. When they play games, camping, responsibilities. Observe how they handle disappointment, responsibility, pain, rules, others. Watch them. Now, I'm concerned here about something. Concerned about a lot of things. But this one is, when 
Young people get themselves locked off in their game world, which is just the two of them. And they've, you know, they've, whatever's going on on that little iPhone and they've got the earbuds in, they're chasing around Pokemon Zero, and you're saying, what is that? Where are they? I'm not saying that that's a moral issue, but it can become one. I can remember the days when games were family events. Yes, checker uh, contest, uh, competition, doing a lot of things together. Puzzles, working on those together. It gives you opportunity. Oh, and I forgot one, Monopoly. When <laughs> I can tell you a lot about a person. <laughs> and marriages too. <laughs> but watch them. Watch them and how they respond to disappointments, losing, winning, those things. And then know what the Bible says about human nature. Uh, make a study of this. The man, we're, we're composite body, soul, spirit, mind, conscience. What is the function of this? What is the heart? Oh, very important. I heard an excellent presentation on that just this past week by a good friend of mine, Jeff Forey. Um, I've known him for years, and it was an excellent presentation where he, well, the heart, the heart, knowing it. How does the Bible express and use that concept in understanding human nature? And then get into the world of your child in every, at every stage of development. Work at what, remembering what it was like for you at that age. Can you remember it? What was it like when you were in elementary school? I remember high school. Oh, yeah. Vivid memories. No, no, circumstances have changed, but do that. Do that. And, you know, also I would add this. Behavioral patterns can be traced through at least two and three generations. You go in the Old Testament and watch Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And look at what the grandchildren, they're behaving on occasion just like the grandparents did. So parents, uh, those strengths and weaknesses that we have will show up. It's to help us. And then there are what I would say, afflicted children. Children who come into the world who fight physical problems, chronic illnesses, just those kinds of physical difficulties. What help you to understand? I mean, I'm telling you things that you already know, certainly at this point. But also, not all children are of equal abilities. And you, you see, one child can do this, another child can do that. And reading that and, and getting them ready for the future. All right, I'm going to have to put that away. But I will tell you one advantage of this in knowing your child. I didn't even have this in my notes. It just occurred to me. Um, that one of the great advantages is it will help you to get them ready for marriage. I know a father who has observed his son very well. He's got a number of sons. And he talks with him, not down to him, but says, Son, these are the ways you're going to have difficulty when you get married. If, you know, the patterns that you've shown, some of your worst moments and, and, and your better moments, that when you get married... I could see this possible scenario working out. 
So that's why you want to know them. Not, well, there are other things to say on that. and must move along. That's, ooh, that was a good bit of time. Let's go. Number two, spend time with your child. Spend time with your child. Jesus devoted most of his time in his three and a half years of earthly ministry to the life and the training of his disciples. He walked with them, slept alongside them, ate with them, talked with them, experienced life's testings with them. He took them through storms. He was with them. They were with him when he faced demons. He went, took them to, into synagogues into homes, the mount, mountains, everywhere, all, all kinds of circumstances. Parents, spend time with your children. Now, what's that mean? I will allowed to ask you a question. What is competing for time with your children in your life? What is it? Now, I'm, I'll be careful here. Father and mother working. Is that a moral matter? No, but it can be. It's how you handle it. If both of you are working, two parents are working, they've got to think of some compensating things they can do. And what do we have to do to make sure that we have adequate time? Now, I've heard this old saying, you've heard it too, oh, it's not the quantity of time, it's just the quality of time. You can throw that away. <laughs> How do you have quality of time without some quantity? You just don't sit down and say, let's really have some quality time for the next ten minutes. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So what we need to do is that there ought to be ways in which we can think through and anticipate ways in which we can do meaningful things together. I, I enjoy reading Facebook. It keeps me up on the comings and goings of many folks in Baraka. I personally think Facebook is a lot like radio. It's all, and television. It's how you use it. Some people get spooked away from it because it just can be overwhelming. I'm not trying to be critical of you. But I will tell you this, that I get some, I see pictures of families going camping. Oh, that's good. I have great memories of camping trips. Some of the best times in my youth. That's a good thing, time together. But find your own ways of creating these. And what can you do to have the necessary time with your children or child? Sit down with them at meals. I read a study. It was done years ago at Columbia University. I don't know a reason why this has not changed, but it said that many in this study, it was a very serious study, that many said in their adult lives the most important thing that impacted them in growing up was mealtime with the family, father and mother at the table in the conversations that they had. And you can take trips together. You, can, you may need to change your lifestyle to do these things, but determine, don't, don't let television, movies rob you of conversation. This is one of the concerns I have about all the, the gaming culture the youth are involved in. Is it bad? What, did I, what have I said? Is it an immoral thing? No, but it can have moral issues that come with it. If you get obsessed and you're with it, and so you get families and everybody's living in, the, well, especially the children, living in their little bubbles. This can't be good. You see, you have to learn to, how can we manage it? 
I talked with a father yesterday, and he was telling me how he was managing this. He's got two daughters and a son. And he was, oh, he manages it. Now, some of you probably wouldn't like his method. He just, uh, I think the oldest one was um, maybe 12, 13. And uh, he will, he's not letting them have the iPhone. Uh, he's got really, he's he telling me he's got really trouble with one of them. She, uh, the, the child says she, and she just wants to listen to music. And is always looking, wants to listen to music all the time. And, and so he's having to work through it. But he knows that there are dangers and that they need time together and they need to talk. They need to have relationships. All right, thirdly, help your child with the problems of life. Look at the way in which Jesus spent time with his disciples. In the first place, he told them to do what? Follow him. He was going to make them fishers of men. He was taking them somewhere. He knew exactly what he wanted accomplished in their lives. That's forethought. That's planning. He asked them questions. What do people say the Son of Man is? Or who do people say the Son of Man is? Matthew 16:33. Or where are we to buy bread that these may eat? And then Jesus put him in a testing situation. He told them to do things. Put out into the deep water and let your nets in for a catch in Luke in 5 and 4. He corrected them when their thinking and their actions were wrong. You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Matthew 16, 8. I mean, just those questions of Jesus. He's always using them. He listened to them. He answered their questions. Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? That's what's their question, Matthew 17, 20. That was the, the contact in the Mount of Transfiguration. And they said, Behold, we've left everything and followed you. What then will there be for us? Matthew 19, 27. Thank you for asking that question. <laughs> That's what you want. You want questions. And you want to help them to your, your children to work through problems. Now, What's all this have to tell us about helping a child with or children with problems of life? Have a plan by which everything that happens to them will be put into perspective, the perspective of God's word. Don't try not. That's why I asked Justin to read that passage in Deuteronomy six. Did you notice in that passage? It's just like it covers all the bases of where you are. Get up, sit down, out in everything in life, and there is. There is a, uh, a conscious, a deliberate effort to get truth worked in. That doesn't mean that you have to, th- uh, you have to throw a verse in their face every few minutes. And, uh, but you know, there are ways of giving biblical perspective and wisdom. It's a matter of timing and how it's done. And if you do it in the right way, it's just of great value. And so I must be prepared to respond to my child when he or she faces the bumps, bruises, pain, conflict, and challenges of life. Do, do I, then parents got to ask, do I have a mind that's informed by God's Word? Well, I'd say, well, get with it. And to you men, I'd say, man up. Get into the Scriptures. Know the Scriptures. Don't let the wife handle all this. Some men let the wife carry all the water on this. And I'm telling you, you're going to get some consequences of that you didn't intend. 
Oh my, we have work to do. And do I know what wisdom is? And I will want to plan problem situations for my children. Well, you say, what am I going to do? You mean plan on situations where they can get hurt? No, but there are certain times and places where you can, you release your children to where they're going to have to handle a problem. And you're not going to run in and try to save them from it. And you want to watch them. How do they deal with it? And then you can inform them. So parenting is not creating bubbles in which they live. Parenting is the wisdom of you gradually release them to see, help them to, and they make decisions, confront problems, and work through them. Number four, encourage your child. Encourage your child. You see Jesus, oh, this is, this is huge in the Gospels. You see Jesus encouraging his disciples. He, comm- he commended Peter when he, gave him, when he gave a spiritually insightful answer. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. I don't know, did Peter really handle all that well? Um, at least the Lord did encourage him with that, Matthew 16, 17. He told them there would come joy after the sorrow of his death, John 16, 22. He told them to take courage. He had overcome the world, John 16, 33. He was patient with them. He never gave up on them. And when they failed, he stayed with them. This has always amazed me about Jesus working with those men. You you know, you read them, you you read it, and you say, when are they going to get it? And Jesus just patiently stayed alongside of them. Parents. We must take the responsibility of encouraging our children. Now, it is interesting, and I had that passage uh, there in the bulletin titled uh, Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Why do you think this said? Because we fathers, we got a blind spot. And we, we're supposed to be the, the protector, the leader, the, you know, the provider. And... And the way that the fall has affected uh, males is that we can, we can err in being overbearing. Our leadership can become authoritarian. And we can think that we can control all situations by either how loud we talk or how many threats we put out and or the kind of discipline we administer. And it does great damage. We can discourage them by constantly criticizing them. Oh, my, we have to, that's how we can provoke them to wrath. Haranguing them about every failure and shortcoming. Oh, I can tell you this, any father that's worked with his sons or daughters in, daughters in sports faces this one. You really got to watch it there. I saw... I saw a kid who was one of the teams, uh, Eric was uh, on the baseball team, and he was young, and this, uh, Eric was an hour, Eric, I was not the coach, and this coach had his son out there on the mound pitching, and he had some ability, but, oh, his dad, which you'd seen it in practice, there was no margin for error, there's got to be perfection, you know, I want you to grow up and be the great athlete your dad was, (laughs) in your dreams. And then, then he, get, he was on that mound out there, and he, 
He just couldn't find the strike zone. And it was a crucial point in the game. And it was, it, everything was just falling apart. And what's that kid? His dad was just barking at him, barking at him. And the kid just stood out there and cried just right there on the mound. Oh, that's years ago. I hope, I hope by the grace of God that young man recovered. So we ought to encourage them by acknowledging their growth and their accomplishments. We can encourage them by showing them how to handle failures and sins. We will fail. We will sin. I have. Your mother has. We do. We understand. Show them what to do when they strike out, fail a test, say the wrong thing to an adult. (laughs) That happens. And yet, and they get disappointed. So encourage them. Encourage them by loving your spouse. That does create an environment and atmosphere of encouragement. That to know mom and dad are together and they're both for me, that's huge. Number five, protect your child. Protect your child. Jesus did this. He protected his disciples. I'll just give you one example. There are many of them. You remember when the Pharisees criticized Jesus and his disciples for picking and eating grain on the Sabbath? That's in Matthew 12. Oh, those, those old curmudgeons, they were, they were just always stalking Jesus. They had, they had little hit squads that go around and follow them. Nah, you're eating the grain on the Sabbath. I saw you take that grain and you rub it in your hands and you had some instant granola. I saw you do that. That's harvesting. That's harvesting. And his disciples were put, put out there for criticism on that. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus went on the offense. You've got to like it. <laughs> did they do? You're not messing with my guys. And he turned it on them. And he revealed their faulty theology. And they were legalists. And Jesus said, I desire compassion and not a sacrifice. And he said that because they had condemned the innocent. So he did it. He did it. He protected them. And parents, you've got to have the wisdom to know that. He protected them in other ways. They knew where, where to go, what to do. He kept them out of areas where there would be opposition and where it would be purposely in, uh, uh, intense. He protected his disciples by teaching them. Oh, did he ever? You know, you protect, you protect by teaching, giving God's wisdom. That gets your mind set. What's that? Proverbs 28, 26. I came across this a couple weeks ago, so I'm going to memorize that one. I'm going to add that one. All right. Whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. He who walks wisely will be delivered. I want, Lord, help me to show my children how to walk wisely. And that can keep them out of a lot of messes. Not all the messes. No, no guarantees, but that's huge. And so, therefore, parents, building a relationship with your child comes through fulfilling your responsibility as a protector. Do your children know they're protected? Protect them by seeing that they are given the instruction of the wisdom of God. Start there. They've got to get it. They need it. They must be taught. I think you know that. I don't need to labor that point. But you protect your children by being alert to the... Oh, listen to this one. This is one of my hot buttons. Oh, my. And I've got to really watch myself here. 
You protect your child by being alert to the cultural norms and standards which pressure them every day to conform. What are the dangers out there? They need to know how to read the landscape. Parent, how discerning are you? Do you know what's going on? Now, this doesn't mean that you have to put your child into some perceived safe environment. You know, you can seal them off. Be careful. You know, the helicopter parent thing. That, uh, you know, you get the drone, the parental drone. Shoo! Shoo! Be careful. It takes wisdom, but they need to be protected. Let me just say this. Uh, this, this is a sermon all its own in the culture. I will tell you. Our civilization is breaking down rapidly, rapidly. That I just heard something in our elders' prayer meeting this morning, an issue that I can't present here. It's just another example of how the culture is at war with Christians and Christian organizations. They're going to seek them out, seek you out, seek your, your, your organization out, and they want to take you out, out of the game, take you out of the game. And I don't know, I tell you, you ought to be, I'm sure you are, be great concerned about this election cycle. It's very difficult. And you hear all this blabber about, you know, we love you, we love you, we're going to do these wonderful things. Just, I don't care who's running. Just remember, the bigger government gets, the smaller the person gets. Be careful, be careful. But I'm concerned more than just that the political dimension of this is what, I was talking to some parents just in the last few days. And I talked to some black parents and white parents. I had the privilege of we had, uh, we had five African-American folk in the uh, training session, and they were from the Sixth Avenue Baptist Church in Birmingham. You don't remember that, do you? Some of you do. That's where the bombing took place in 1963. We had the best conversation. They were there to, they wanted to be more effective in working with people. And we talked about family and what the culture is going through. And they, they're facing it. I remember one mother told me, said she could see the difference between our older children and the younger children, the way they're processing things, the way they're reacting. Is that you could see how the culture, this particular, this emotion thing, where emotion is, you live by your emotions, follow your heart. Remember Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his heart's a fool. That's the idea of following your own feelings at that point, your own sensibilities which are uninformed by truth. Okay, this, this mother was telling me, she said, I, she could see the difference in her younger children. Where they were coming home, things they were saying. We were saying Is it in the drinking water? And, and then I talked to another parent, and they said, he, this parent's convinced. My, it comes, a lot of it comes from the social media. And this is the downside, can be the downside of Facebook for the immature is that you get on Facebook and you put, a, you put a thought out there, you put a conviction, you want to speak up, this is right, and then, boom, you get hit from all directions. And so, unless you've got a forehead of flint, so what are you going to do? I mean, how many times have you seen leaders, politicians and others, who are Christian, and they make a statement, and you say, that's true, that's right. And then within 24 hours, they're apologizing. I'm sorry. But you see, the pressures are enormous. 
Okay, I told you that. All right, number six. You must be an example to your child. Jesus lived out the truth that he taught his disciples. Every truth he taught could be identified in the way that he thought, lived, and taught. Now, I know Jesus, he gets the gold medal. (laughs) He has the highest standard. He was perfect in all his ways, but he learned obedience. That's what the writer of Hebrews says. He learned obedience through his suffering. And when he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, guess what? He did it. And, you know, you and I are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I should not begin to take myself off the hook and say, well, Jesus is perfect. I can't do that. And you know what I say? I think God says to us, trust me. Avail yourself to my grace. I'll enable you to be what you need to be. And when he said to love one's neighbor as oneself, he carried that out in all his relationships. Just watch him in the Gospels. The parables he told, the parable of the Good Samaritan and how he responded to people. Busy days, people pressing in upon them, on him. And he had time. Don't you, have you, my imagination has gone off with this sometimes. Can you imagine what it was like Jesus at the end of the day? He got tired. He got bone tired. And he was not a bionic man. He got bone tired. And I can imagine just uh, lying down on his bed. You know that feeling? And you just can begin to feel all your muscles begin to relax. And sometimes you're so tired you can hardly go to sleep. And then maybe you, your dreams, you're, you're thinking, what did Jesus dream? I wonder about that. Did he dream about healing people and people knocking on the door? <laughs> and, or did he just dream about angels? I don't, I don't think the latter. But that, so Jesus knows. And he, he dealt with all these things. He was an example. And so parents, we are to follow Jesus' example. That's what 1 Peter 2.21 says. Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. And so therefore we, my child need to see, they need, our children, they need to see how love works. What's it look like? What's it like when a, when a man loves his wife? Can, can you measure that? Can you see that? Can you watch it in his, in courtesy, in manners, in tone of voice, help in the kitchen? What's patience? I mean, these are abstract things. You know, and with younger children, these are particularly important matters that uh, younger children, they need the concrete. And what is kindness? What is forgiveness? So these abstract concepts can be given flesh and blood. Show your child their father in heaven as Jesus did. John fourteen seven. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Now, isn't that good? Isn't that good? To, that your children say, you know, I think I know what God's like because I saw some of him in my mother and my father. Oh, my. They don't have Academy Awards for that sort of thing. But I'll tell you what, God does. He'll reward in many ways. Oh, and seven, you must die for your child. At the very heart of Jesus' relationship with his disciples, he said, I lay down my life for the sheep. John 10 and 15. He gave his life for his own. That's the reason he came to earth. Then you come to earth just say, I think I'll go to earth and 
you know, that created quite a place and sin's messed it up, but I'm going to go down there and see what it's like and have a good time because I can come back. It sounds crazy. It is. (laughs) His coming to lay down his life for a sheep to find all his decisions, it determined the nature of his relationships. It explained his suffering, the opposition he encountered, and the entire nature of his teaching. Parents, you have made, or I I need to put this in a question mark. I have that in my notes here. Have you made the decision to die for your child, your children? Well, what's that mean? Well, it means knowing your child, helping them with the problems of life, encouraging them, protecting your child, being an example to your child, and being driven by love for your child. And be sure we understand the nature of love, that what is it? Memorize that passage in in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not jealous, doesn't brag, it's not arrogant, it's not rude. And it is not easily provoked, and it doesn't take into account wrong suffer. I just left one out, but I'm moving on. Uh, that and and it, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness; rejoices in the truth. You know, it's good. Get up in the morning and just recite that to yourself. Say, Lord, I need to be this to all people that they'll see God's love. And I will tell you this, beloved. In this day, when I said, now I think our civilization's breaking down. And I I don't want us to leave with that. Oh, it's just, oh, my, it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Yes, they're bad things, but I want to tell you, this is the time for God's people. I was talking to a man the other day. Oh, I love these conversations. And the man was telling me he's a businessman. He's he's done well. He's a young man. And he was telling me, we were talking about what Christians, as they have the the qualities of uh, punctuality, integrity, honesty, um, the industrious, they're kind to their customers. They, you know, even though I've been to five or six things that needs to, we stopped and we looked at one and he said, you know, that would be a pretty good person if you were looking for an employee. <laughs> you know, wouldn't that kind of behavior where what essentially is is that the love of God's being fleshed out in all areas of life, Christians show up and sparkle. For the glory of God. And wonderful is the opportunity that child has when all of that, all of that has been their experience. Now, I said all that and say this, and it's not a downer, but there are no guarantees. I know. Build a relationship with your children. But you know the key? And what did Jesus do? You know, he lost one. Judas betrayed him. That was painful. And he even had, and actually, all of his disciples tucked tail and ran at one point. And Peter denied him. So pattern, they're going to be parents, they're going to be, they're, they're going to be disappointments. There's no formula where you can guarantee the outcome of your children. We'd like to have one. Wouldn't we? But I'll tell you, you can sure move up the averages. <laughs> and why? Just give them opportunity. Give them opportunity. Give them opportunity. And so that when they get into adult life, said, oh, thank you, God, for the opportunities. Now, maybe they didn't take them. Now, let me say this. I'm through. Dear friend, if this has stirred you as a parent or a would-be parent, and you say, oh, I want to get with this, just remember this. You can't 
even begin to go in this direction until you know the Lord Jesus Christ yourself, personally, for forgiveness of sin, eternal life. I'm born, you are born, we're all born in this world sinners. We break God's law. We're guilty of it all. And God's judgment is on us. He who believes in him is not condemned. You then put your trust in Christ, in him alone, for forgiveness of sin, eternal life. You know what will happen? I can tell you. Now, it's not because I'm smart, but I know this. It's because God said in his word. God the Holy Spirit will do a work. Theologians call it regeneration. You get a new nature. You get the Holy Spirit. Your world just, voila, things begin to happen. And you want to go after truth and say, Lord, I want to live so as to die for my children. And Lord, preach the gospel in this home with our lives together. But have you put your trust in Christ? Have you? Maybe your children, your small children have not yet. And maybe you could talk with them further about this. How to come to a knowledge of forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord for what you've revealed to us in your word, for this beautiful, wonderful, exhilarating, daunting, yet daunting, example of Jesus. God help us to go out from here and live the gospel in a new way, in Christ's name. Amen.